Praise the Lord. What an awesome thing to be redeemed. I'm glad we have a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. There's so much said when you say those two words together. Let's turn today to the book of Ruth, if you would, chapter 2, verse 19. Let me make a few announcements, and we'll take care of that, and then we'll go into the Word. I want to say happy birthday to my granddaughters, Ashley and Courtney, July the 7th. I want to say happy anniversary to Carol, 49 years. I want to say happy birthday to Carol yesterday. I won't say how old, but she's the same age I am. Also want to say happy birthday to Scotty, our son-in-law today, and also happy birthday to Emma and Ellie today, and I'll go ahead and say happy birthday to anybody else that's got one. We just covered it off. You can tell if I forget this week, I'm in a mess of trouble. Amen. We love you all so much. So thankful that the Lord has... uh, put us together as a family, a church family, let us journey, journey together. Lord willing, tomorrow night, youth service tomorrow night at uh, 6 o'clock, um, I'll be speaking, Lord willing. I know it's not much of a consolation for these youth are looking for young ministers to come around, but if you don't like it, ask Brother Rob. He's the one who asked me to come, so. So, <clears throat> so all the youths are invited. But Skip, I'm not sure that includes you, buddy. <laughs> Is that young at heart, too? Uh, uh, Brother Paul, no, you're left out, too. So we come look forward to that tomorrow night. Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord. Now remember, this is the woman who lost her praise. This is the woman who lost what she felt like was every reason to live. I wonder how many days that Naomi thought, my life is over, I'm finished, there's no need for me to carry on, my husband's gone, my sons are gone, there's no need for me to even go on. You know, when sometimes God takes a great deal from you, it's just another stage of your life's journey, and he has another further revealing of his plan. For the Lord who hath not left kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin unto us and our next kinsman. Look with me at this word, the Hebrew word goel. To redeem, act as a kinsman redeemer. Avenge, revenge, ransom. By marrying a brother's widow to beget a child for him. To redeem from slavery. To redeem land to redeem by payment, amen, (laughs) to redeem by payment. 
And we'd like to be remembered today as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful as we stand here today to know that we have been redeemed. We were not redeemed by someone of another genos, someone of another species, or someone of another kind. But we were redeemed by one who became kin to us. The reason you could become kin to us was because we were already kin to you. So it wasn't a hard thing at all for you to be able to come kin to us. So today we're asking that you would help us as we look into your word. Help me to get out of the way, shut my mouth to anything that would displease you. Have your way in the service. Minister to the sick, the needy. May every devil out of hell be bound that would try to hinder us today in this service. Satan, in the name of Jesus, we're here to declare the name of the king. We're here with the king's message of healing, deliverance, salvation, joy. So you might as well go ahead and take your ditty bag and head out because we're here to have church today and for our king to be magnified. Father, this prayer calls I have, I pray, Lord God, you see the need. Go with it, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 25, or you can read it here on the screen if you'd like. We'd like to look at the laws of redemption. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it unto the year of Jubal. Now we call it Jubilee. <clears throat> but the year of Jubal. In that Jubal it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. Now this is based upon a natural land, of course. A natural inheritance with 12 different tribes receiving this land of Canaan. And God said, the land is mine. It don't belong to you. It is my land. It's my possession. But I'm going to delegate and break it up into 12 parcels. 
The Levites, of course, won't have a natural inheritance, but they'll have cities inside the other possessions of the, of the 11. Now he said, I don't want you to sell this land, so if you belong to the tribe of Judah, and you belong to the tribe of Reuben, and you belong to the tribe of Dan, and you belong to the tribe of Naphtali, and Issachar, and on and on and on, you could not sell your property over to a man from another tribe just because you decided, well, I want to. I, I want to do that. I, I want to sell that to a brother from Naphtali. I want to sell my property to a man from Issachar. God gave them the law to keep their possession straight. So it could only fall into a man, if you lived in the tribe of Dan, then a man, you got poor, you lost your land, you lost your house, you lost your property, and one of your brethren. I want you to notice, it could not be a neighbor. It could not be a person that looked at you and felt sorry for you. Now you see, this is where the majority of Christendom totally misunderstands redemption. They do not have the Lord Jesus as being a kinsman. But they have Almighty God being a sympathetic, loving God, and he looks beyond his own kind, and he looks beyond his own genos, and he offers them something that they're not worthy of, that they actually don't belong to it at all. He's not kin to them, they're not kin to him, but he wants to redeem them. You've got your story so mixed up, and yet call it redemption. Now the only way a brother from the tribe of Dan could redeem land in Dan's possession was that he must be a full-blooded, full-blooded Danite. Then if his nephew, his cousin, his uncle, his brother, or in this state, both of the father and the two sons were dead. So then the inheritance falls back into the care of Naomi. I hope you understand this by the law and you can study it if you like in the Hebrew law, that even though Ruth was a daughter-in-law, yet now Naomi was the head of the family. And actually Ruth was under her. I wish a lot of folks could ever figure that out. You know, God does not set things in order so he can have bosses over people. But God does have a divine protocol. That's just God's way. It's always been and it always will be. But yet Ruth come back to the land with Naomi and both of them were poor and they didn't have any money but yet they did have this property, a rundown house maybe, and a few acres that was there. They had no money to restore the house. They had no money to plant the crops. Who knows what kind of lien was now held against it. But yet Naomi was still a rightful claim on that inheritance. Now Ruth goes out and she finds, and what we dealt with last Sunday, and all the unmerited favor that was given to her by Boaz, and all of that happened in one day's time. 
Now remember, she haps upon the field of Boaz. She doesn't know where to even go. I believe it was the Spirit of God that led her. I believe he does the same today. So she didn't know where to go, and Naomi is at home. Naomi doesn't even know where she's at. No doubt she's concerned about what's going on, but the grace of God has given Ruth divine favor in the eyes of Boaz. And Boaz comes up, and he sees her out there, and the prophet says, it was love at first sight. So he falls in love with her. You'd never know it by the type of guy that he was. Now, Boaz is a really unusual sort of a fella, and he doesn't really make any type of suggestive behavior toward Ruth at all that was out of character with this type of a man, a man of power, a man of wealth, a man that could have abused his power, but he refused to do it. And yet Ruth was the type of a character that was so noble and so outstanding. And now she's found favor in the eyes of Boaz and he tells her to glean there. He also tells her to come and sit and eat with us at mealtime, which totally breaks the protocol of the way they would do it. He let her drink from the water that was drawn. He let her eat from the bread, dip her bread in the vinegar. He also handed her himself parched corn. Now at the end of the day, Ruth takes what she has gleaned and she beats it out and she takes it back home to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law is so nervous and so giddy as we would say that you can tell how she asks when she runs these questions together and doesn't even give Ruth time to even answer. But she just asks one question, then asks another, then asks another and Ruth is just trying to look for a way to get in a word edgewise as we would say. And finally she gives her the opportunity to be able to tell what has happened. Now remember, she's totally in the dark. She didn't know what had happened. And then all of a sudden, this woman whose name was now Bitterness, this woman who said, don't call me Naomi because I am no longer pleasant worship. I have nothing to thank God for. I have nothing to worship him for. I have nothing to be happy for. Look, if you breathe today, you've got a lot to thank God for. You got two arms here today? How many's got two arms? You got a lot to praise God for. You got two feet? You got a house to come and worship God? Well, somebody say praise the Lord. But Brother Donnie, you don't know what I'm going through. I may not, but I know this. You've still got a lot to thank him for. But you can become bitter and sad and sorrowful, or you can say, by the grace of God, I'm going to get through this somehow. I don't know how, but I know God's going to help me. So she did not realize that this daughter-in-law, which no doubt seemed like a spiritual deficit because she's a Moabitess. Now, you know, Boaz would have looked at her in a little different light than some of the rest of the Hebrews, the Jews that were around, because Boaz had his own dealings already with a very famous Gentile woman, and that was his mother. You know her as Rahab, the harlot. Amen. So he had no problem believing God could save a Gentile. Amen. Amen. Us Gentiles shouldn't have a problem thinking God can save some pretty low lifers around us. Well, look at yourself sometime and you say amen to that. 
So he had a different perspective in looking at what God was going to do. So now God must work by his own law. Now keep in mind that this is a natural anatype of what God was going to do many, many, many years later down in the type and it would be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus which was God's human body himself. So God gave this law. Now remember, these, these laws are not given to the people of Moab. They're not given to the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. But they're given to the children of Israel. And God knows they're all going to this land which flows with milk and honey. And they got all these great blessings that they're going to get. Why in the world would God mention poor people in the land flowing with milk and honey? Why in the world would God set up, basically, this is the first laws of bankruptcy? Right, these are the first laws of bankruptcy. Because God knew there would be people in a land flowing with milk and honey and they'd get in debt, maybe a poor year, whatever it was, and God knew they would. So everybody in the land flowing with milk and honey wasn't filthy rich and just had all kinds of money and God knew they wouldn't, so God made a way to be able to redeem them. But now remember, it could not be someone from another inheritance come and be able to redeem it back. So it must be one of their brethren. It could not be someone who just looked at them and said, I feel so sorry for them. I feel so sorry for them, poor little things. So I'm gonna send my little boy down there and my little boy's not like them at all. My little boy, he's, he's like me because I'm the old God and he's the young God. He's the second person that God hid and he's gonna be so different than them but I'm gonna send my poor little son down there and whoever feels sorry for my little boy, I'll save them. Tommy rot. Nonsense. Anti-scriptural. It must be a kinsman redeemer. Praise the Lord. Now in order to fulfill this part, the man must meet several qualifications. He must be wealthy. He must be willing to do it. He must be close enough kin to be able to do it. Now he's got to take upon himself if there is a deficit which comes with redeeming this inheritance and there would have been in the state of Naomi because no doubt had been run down. They've been gone for 10 years now. So there was a deficit that would have come with him. There would have also been a deficit to some others because of the Moabitess Ruth. Now he could not just take the land and say, well, I, I like the land and I want the house, but I don't want nothing to do with her. Now here he knows that whenever to present this, even to the one that's going to be a closer kin, he must present the whole case. All right, so here's the land, here's the farm, here's the house, and Naomi, and there's one more thing you must know. There is a Moabitess a Gentile. Now, whenever the closest of kin hears this, he said, oh no, oh no. I cannot redeem that because it would mar my inheritance. Now, the next one, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but the next one that was the closest of kin to us, the prophet identified it as the devil. 
Well, we don't like hearing that, do we? But it's the truth anyhow. And Brother Ram said that Satan could not make himself another devil in order to redeem the inheritance. So Satan, once he found out, you'd have to come along with said, Oh, no, I don't want that bunch of holy rovers. Ain't no way. I don't want them bunch of people. But Jesus said, that's exactly who I'm looking for. Now, I want you to notice then whenever he comes to this, if he has a near kinsman, then the kinsman can redeem it for him. But if he doesn't have a near kinsman, and we'll say it's in the, let's say the 35th year from the last jubilee. So there's still 15 years left, and the man is able to somehow make a living and able to pay the debt off. So he will calculate the way that they will prorate your tires on your vehicle. So if you've got a 60,000-mile warranty on your tires, and then you have a, you know, a flat, flat or a blowout or something like that, you take it to the Goodyear, wherever you bought them, and they will prorate it, as they call it. Say, so, well, you've got 15,000 miles on those tires, so we're going to prorate the value of that car, that tire. A new one will cost you $287, and we'll take a percentage of the 15,000 miles that you've drove it, and we will prorate that value. So we will let you have that tire for, say, $198, and they will prorate that. Well, that's basically what they would do in the year of Jubilee. And whenever it would come up now, the man said, you know what, I've got enough money to pay the debt off. And all $30,000 will say on the debt. So they will prorate that amount. I worked out this many years, so I owe 15 more years. But if it comes to the time that 50 years had now rolled around, and the 50 was the restarting over of the economy. So the 50 was the year of release. So a man was out there, still hadn't paid the debt. His son was there, there was different ones there, and they were working on this property trying to pay the debt off. But they would wait for that morning and when they would hear that jubilee horn blow, you know what? They might have had a hoe. They might have had a mattock. They might have been plowing the field. Who knows what they was doing? But when they heard that jubilee sound, they laid down their hoe. They unhitched the mule. They packed their clothes, and they headed out of that field. Why? Because the jubilee year had rolled around, and even though they didn't have the money to redeem themselves, the time redeemed them. Glory. Glory to God. It was the time that redeemed them. Don't you understand why redemption time is such an important thing of where we are? Now, many of us would have already been gone home in the rapture. Would we not? Sure, this world's getting awful to live in. But yet, we're synchronized not only with our own walk, but with the redemption time itself. So if a man could do it, praise the Lord. But if a man could not do it, the owner could do it himself. God said, all right. But if none of that worked, he had no rich kin, he himself could not do it. God said, all right, I'm going to set it to where every 50 years will be the restarting. Now, if that man owed you $100,000 and he had only paid out, we'll say, twenty five, according to God's law, that man had a right to walk out of that field even though he owed you seventy five thousand dollars because the 50 was the restarting. It was the new beginning. It was the foreshadow of the eighth day, which means new creation. So the man that could walk out, the son, whatever it was, walk right out of the field, and you know where he started? He started right back at zero balance. Now you imagine some of them Jews, you know how some of them are when it comes to money. There's probably a part of that law they didn't like not one bit. 
Year 48 rolled around. Year 49 rolled around. First month, second month, eighth month, 10 month. Oh, you talking about sweating bullets. By the time they got down about the 10th month and that old boy hadn't worked and here they still owed $50,000 and they knew they was gonna walk out of there. But you know what? If they were real believers, they let that word be the guideline of their life. Well, let me just bring it on down. It's the same way for you and I. If we are real word believers, we don't line up our lives just with those things we like. We line up by those things that we really don't like. Well, come on, there's portions of the word that's hard for us to do. There's portions of the word that we can do it, man, it's so easy. And there's other parts of the word, it takes the hide right off of your back and mine too. But a real believer will do it anyhow. Now watch the way God said that the man may return to his possession in verse 28. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which his soul shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it unto the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return to his possession. Matthew, or Leviticus 25, 47, rather. If a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner or to the stock of the stranger's family. After that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. I want to keep knowing just more you get this in your heart. It must be a brother that performs the act of redemption. Notice in verse 49, either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him. Or if he be able, he may redeem himself. How many knows we could not redeem ourselves? None of us could redeem ourselves. Adam sold every one of us out. Well, Adam was not able to redeem himself nor redeem us. So what did God do? God came down in the Garden of Eden and God slayed a lamb. And God killed that lamb and pulled the skin off of the lamb and throwed it in behind the bush to Adam and Eve and told them to come out. Notice Deuteronomy 25, 5. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Now watch, this is the Leverett law pertaining to marriage. Not just property, but marriage. So if the brother had a wife and he died, then the woman shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. This is the Leverett law. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be put not out of Israel. Now, remember, this is God's law because the name, the heritage, the patronage was such an important thing to them. So a man, he married a wife, they didn't have any children, he died young or died barren, and yet the man's name would be cut off, not only after he was dead, but there would be no one there to mention his name. Oh my, there would be no one there to bear his name. So God said, I don't want that to happen. Can't you see what Satan done down through the dark ages? So that he would cut off the very name of God and he would use titles as substitutes. But God said, I will not let my name die. 
Amen. I will not let my name die. But notice it was in a marriage or a union that the name of the husband was revived. This is why each age has its chance of revival. And God called Luther, gave them a revival. They denominated it, died, God moved on. Is that right? Luther, Wesley, Pentecost, and the prophet tells us in marriage and divorce, the children begin to look more like him in each one of those ages because it was becoming less of the mother and more like him. So every successive age as it moved from Luther unto Wesley, from Wesley unto Pentecost, from Pentecost unto the message, the children started looking more like them Acts 238 youngins. Wow, praise God. They was looking more like the father and less like the mother. Now we've still got those in our ranks, of course, that still want to look like mama. But I'll tell you one thing, I, I desire to look like daddy. Praise the Lord. I'm glad we come out of mama. I don't want to go back. Notice it shall be that the firstborn which she bears shall succeed and then the brother which is dead that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take the brother's wife, then let the brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Now this is what happened to every denomination that took the titles instead of the name. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him and if he stand and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face. Well, God don't play, does he? So she's gonna reach down and she's gonna grab that old boy's shoe. And then she's gonna turn around and spit right in his face. Well, praise the Lord. And shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. Well, I'll tell you one thing, friend. If it was that way in the Old Testament about not building up the brother's house, what about when we don't build up God's house in this day? When denominations build up their own kingdom and they will not build up the kingdom of God, oh, they say they are sure. But look at it. Look at their theology. Look at their doctrine. It don't take you long to realize they're not building up the house of God, the kingdom of God. They're building up their own denominational system. And I hate to say it, but it's the same with some of the folks in the message as well. So you see, by losing the shoe, it was partly a sign of his resignation. He resigns, he diminishes, he gives up his right to the woman. Now listen, he gives up his right to the woman. By the law, he has a right to her. She belongs to him. I hope you understand that whenever Ruth laid down at the feet of Boaz, she was not doing anything that was mis misapplied or inappropriate. He already knew she belonged to him. By the inheritance of the Redeemer, she was already his. Glory! 
when the woman reached down and took that shoe off of that man, she was saying, you have forfeited your rights. Glory to God. I'll tell you one time, I think it's time that every child of God reaches down and grabs that old shoe off of the devil's foot and said, devil, you ain't got no right to me no more. I don't belong to you. I ain't yours. I belong to the Lord Jesus. Take your old sickness back to hell. Take your affliction back to hell. Take your oppression back to hell. Take your suicide back to hell and spit in his face. But you see, some of us don't do that. Instead of grabbing the devil's shoe and taking it off, we say, sit down, devil. You want sweet tea, unsweet, sweet with a splash of unsweet, unsweet with a splash of sweet. Could I get you a little Debbie cake? Could I get you a piece of cherry pie? I made one last night. Let me bring you your house slippers. We take his shoes off, right, and we bring him house shoes. And we let him live in our house every day. Torment our minds, torment our children. Try to convince us God don't love us. It's time you reach down there and don't grab a hold of one of them. Go ahead and take both of them off that sorry outfit. Just go ahead and take both of them and say, devil, you got me in this mess and you couldn't get me out. You got me in this sin and you couldn't get me out. So I married Jesus Christ and you had no claim on me. You see, the shoe represented one's authority and right. Look in Psalm 60, verse 8. God says, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. God is letting them be turned into hell. I hope you understand, friends. That's why America's where she's at today. God took his shoe off over America. But don't worry, little bride. He ain't never going to take them off for you. <laughs> Psalms 108, verse 9. Again, God says, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. So the removing of the shoe was a token sign of alienation. So you were therefore alienated from this individual. So you may not be able to enter your brother's land. You have no claim on his wife. You are reduced to a state of humiliation. No wonder God spoke to that devil by the prophet and said, I will lay thee before kings and they shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man? 
not the mighty God, not the omnipotent one, but God will lay that devil one day before kings. I wonder if it's some of the same ones that Revelation 1 and 8 says, we were redeemed by thy blood and thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notice Isaiah 20. And at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go, loose thy sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Lord, have mercy. Boy, can you imagine a prophet of God having to do this before the people? And the Lord said, like as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, God showing whenever the shoe was off, it is a sign if you've lost your authority. So spit in his face. Take his shoe. Why? He has brought contempt upon his brother. So God says, you bring it back on him. As you know, studying their customs to spit in one's face was one of the lowest humiliative acts that could ever be done. So when our Lord Jesus was on the earth and allowed them to spit in his face, for us, it'd be terrible. Sure, it'd be terrible for us as Westerners, but for the Eastern people, it was awful. Listen to this. The prophet said, he's our kinsman redeemer. Isn't that right? God was manifested in the flesh to take our place, to be a kinsman to us as in the book of Ruth and Exodus and so forth, how it teaches of how that we become kinsmen to God and God come down and dwelt in his son, Christ Jesus, became kinfolks to us and he was our kinsman redeemer. And a public testimony was to be made before Israel at the gates as Boaz kicked off his shoe to show he had firmly redeemed Naomi. And in redeeming Naomi, he got Ruth the bride. And Jesus, when he redeemed Israel, he got the Gentile bride. He made a public testimony and he was lifted up between heavens and earth as an ensign, you see, they took his shoes off too. Not because he wouldn't take the bride, but because he would. They stripped him naked. He didn't die on the cross with a loincloth around him. He died naked, stripped, beaten to a pulp. Why? In order to redeem us. Can't you see why, friends, people that turn that down, my, to go to hell, they're getting what they deserve. There's where the supreme price was paid. There's where we was redeemed. And all our inheritance was lost. Our health, our strength, our salvation. All that was lost back there in the fall. It was redeemed at Calvary. Again, he says, now God who's in spirit unveiled himself in a body of flesh, which was his son, Christ Jesus. And God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and become kin folks to human beings to suffer the penalty that he had put on the human himself. 
You see, this is why he must become a human. He was the one who gave this penalty of death upon humanity. So he could not send someone else other than himself. Can you imagine one of you brothers do something wrong? And I say, well, he's my pick. So I'm going to let Brother Rob die for him. I'm going to let Brother Paul die for him. Would that be just? Well, if I'm the one who gave the law and the penalty, I must myself die for that transgressor. And how could God ever die when God was a spirit, but he wanted to become kin to our humanity? Don't you understand? God never had a permanent flesh body until Jesus come on the earth. Hallelujah. Notice man was made in the image of God first. And God is a spirit. Then in order to redeem the man, God had to come down in the form of sinful flesh and become a kinsman. Christ, amen. Christ was a kinsman. God made kinfolks to us, flesh and blood, like we are. Listen to this one in Job. Someone who can redeem a lost to save. You preachers know this. This must be a first a kinsman. He must be close, kinfolks. Listen, not a way off kinsman. A near kinsman. And the closer kin you bring Jesus to our humanity, the more it stumbles people. Satan don't want you to see it. He wants you sure to believe that Jesus came as a man, but he wants you always to keep how close he was at a great distance way out here from what he was. Listen to me now. I know this is gonna blow some of your dentures out. Just hold them if it does. People say, well, if you've got the blood and you're under the blood of Jesus, that's all you need. Really? Jesus was born with the blood of Jesus. But it did not give him power to fulfill his ministry. Rot row. Here we go, Shaggy. Jesus could not have died the appropriate death without first receiving the Father, which was the Holy Ghost at the river. You believe he had this precious blood of God? He had the blood of God in his body. But that blood did not give him the power he needed. I figured this would do this to (laughs) y'all. What was he doing? He was becoming closer kin. He's the first one to receive the Holy Ghost in this way. You say, what about John? Received it different. But this one is receiving the Father after the washing. Praise be to God. So the blood, when they say, well, I believe the blood, I claim the blood, I do too. But Jesus didn't say, after you believe the blood, you'll receive power. But Acts 1 and 8 says, after that, oh, hallelujah, you have received the Holy Ghost, then you shall receive power. The holy blood of God was in him from the very moment 
the immaculate conception started. And yet that holy blood of God could not empower him to do what he needed to do. It won't us either. And we don't even have that literal blood in our body. How many knows that? We're just believing on that blood. We believe and we accept it. What if he had to have the Holy Ghost with the literal blood in his body? How much more are you and I going to have to have it? It ain't an option like power windows on your car. You got to have it or you don't go in the rapture. How could God ever become a close kinsman when God himself was made flesh and dwelt among us. He'd become kinfolks to the human race. That's right. The only way it could be when God was made flesh here among us. he become kinfolks to the human race. That's right. The only way it could be when God was made flesh here among us. You say you said that again and I'm going to say it again. When God was made flesh here among us. Notice, he become kin, folks, not to angels, but to human beings. He never come in the form of an angel, but he humiliated himself and stripped himself from all. It's amazing how many message people who say they follow this message do not believe this. You're following Arianism and don't even know it. Stripped himself from all of his heavenly glories. If he overcome the devil as God, it's totally unfair to tell me to overcome the devil when I've just got a little portion of the Spirit of God. It's totally unfair for him to tell you, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Well, yeah, you overcome the devil as God. No, he never. He overcome the devil as a man filled with the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Friends, don't just stop it. Well, he took on humanity. No, no. He didn't just take on humanity. He stripped himself. Not of just emanating rays that come from his person. No, all. How much is all? Really? So you believe all is all? Me too. I guess we believe the same thing then. How come y'all sitting quiet on me if we believe the same thing? Notice, this is what makes it so great. He stripped himself. Kenosis. So we stepped out of that into this. And the first sound that came out of his mouth when he left that Shekinah was and they had to reach over and get him. Lay him over on his mother's breast. And let her nurse him. The first time God ever become dependent on a human being. If she don't feed him, he'll die. 
She had to wean him. Had to start feeding in the Mediterranean diet of olives and olive oil and figs and dried fruits and hard breads and this and that and the other. You see him as a little boy, three, four years old, two years old, we'll say, when he gets up and he's trying to get up and start how to walk, learn how to walk, and here he comes toddling through the house. Jesus, as a toddler, coming through the house and falling down and hitting his little head or his little nose on, on a table. They must have had some kind of, you know, some kind of furniture in there. Joseph was a carpenter. So they didn't have seven made in China. Oh, we got it. had real stuff. You imagine little Jesus hitting his little nose and let out a squall and just cry and cry. And Mary remember, oh, my little baby, my little, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Oh, Jesus, hey, Sue, hey, Sue, hey, Sue, hey, Sue, I'm so sorry. And Jesus has his little lip quiver. Lord God, children, don't you see how much he loved you? And he asked us to give up this and that and the other and quit doing this and quit doing that and quit dressing and we just say, oh Lord, the whole world's coming to an end. We ain't give up nothing. Slop. Slop. The devil's garbage. (laughs) And he stripped himself from all his heavenly glories and came down and was made kinfolks with man in order to fulfill the law of kinsman redeemership. Oh, what precious love the Father had for Adam's fallen race. God gave his only son to suffer and redeem us by his grace. He's quoting a song. There he is, a near kinsman. God made flesh and dwelt among us. Becoming kinfolks to the human being, a kinsman. He was so much human that in a temple when his mother's so-called. And Joseph come in and said, son, where have you been? Where have you been? He said, wish you not I must be about my father's business. What was you worried about me? I'm about my father's business. And yet the prophet took that and said, I doubt he even understood what he said as it came out of his childish mouth. Jesus was not a 12-year-old God boy. He was a 12-year-old boy. (laughs) But when the father came at the river after he was washed, now he becomes the God man. He's not the actual breach yet till the Holy Ghost comes. He's a man. He's a human He gets hungry, he cries, he feels weary, he gets tired. But once God comes in, now the breach has been filled. The God-man is back on the earth. (laughs) Hallelujah! The kinsman redeemer, not just a human, but God. He didn't just come to redeem your body. He come to redeem your soul, which was an attribute of the eternal. Our little Bethlehem and Jesus was God, made kinfolks to the human race. He was Emmanuel. He become kinfolks. He took off on him, not the form of angels, but the form of a servant 
who washed the feet and lived and foxes had holes and birds of the air had nests, but he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He ate and drank, he cried, he laughed. Would some of y'all be offended if Jesus laughed? Some of y'all probably think Jesus was. Peter would say something funny and Jesus would say. Jesus laughed. You imagine when he gives his disciples and they talk about various things and, and they laugh. Oh, I can't wait to hear that sound. Oh, glory to God. I can't wait. Can you imagine? I know you don't even think about that, do you? You never even thought about Jesus' life in heaven? You're talking about a life and time when we get there. Oh, my. We had a little birthday gathering for Scotty at our house yesterday, and, and I heard the, the Parker girls, the little girls, as over there laughing and, and just carrying on, and they were so loud. And Maria got so tickled, and she was just cackling like a little hen laying an egg. And all of us uh, old people were sitting over there, and we just looking around and looking at them. Wow, they were saying something that was funny and something that brought. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus when all the saints of God gather together, and we look up there and praise God? You think heaven's going to be us going around crying all the time? You'll laugh more then than you've ever laughed now. Glory to God, you're going to have real joy, real peace, something to laugh about. He ate, he drank, he cried, he laughed just like other men. He was God, not a prophet. He was God because he had to be king's folks in order to redeem the lost human race. Now finally, Ruth gets to say something to the excited Naomi. So it's Ruth 2.21. And Ruth the Moabitess said, he said unto me also, if you'll give me a minute here, I'll tell you what else he said. I mean, the church ages was wonderful and the breach was wonderful and God is implicit, but there's some opening of the seals here we've got to discuss. He also said this to me, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended the harvest. Now, this is not a suggestion. He's telling her, Stay here. Now this is not the only field, of course, where that there was gleaning, where there was young men, where there was very, very similar things. But what's he doing? He's making an assertive claim. Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest, which includes both barley and wheat. Now they start first with one, and then it goes right into the other. She ain't gonna be running out of nothing to eat for a long time. I want you to stay right here. Now the ladder was at the end of our May, or the beginning of June. So it went from one right to the next. You know, so like revivals do, and messages will do. One will open right up into the other. And if you're scared to death that I'm gonna run out of things to preach, and Brother Darrell and these other brothers here are gonna run out of things to preach, put your little mind at rest. The Lord has got way more than what you'll ever need of sheep food that's held up for the bride in the end time. 
Well, let me tell you this. If your preacher keeps warming up same old microwave stuff that he gives you just a different title of what he's preached for the last 40 years, you might ought to get to where there's some fresh meat being killed. Because find where the carcass is and that's where the eagles will be gathered together. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good. It is good. That's pretty good for an old sour lady that didn't have nothing to say nothing good about. But this daughter, this daughter has changed her. She's praising again. She's worshiping again. And she's saying, this is good. And this is good. Don't it feel good to be able to recognize good? It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they, that they meet thee not in any other field. Now, I want you to observe now the charge of Boaz. It's good, so don't, don't go here and there. And, you know, I want you to just stay right there. You've got constant employment of where he wants you to be. And Naomi is not just a friendly suggestion, but she's reminding her of the danger. You get out there in this field, then they may not watch them young men. You go over in that field over there, and they may not watch them, but the Lord of the harvest is watching where you're at now. I'll tell you one thing, I'd rather have less and have God's protection than I would to have more and be out of the will of God. I know some of you could go here and there and there and make all kinds of money elsewhere and do whatever more, but I would rather have $95 a week and it be blessed by God than $9,500 a week and be out of the will of God and my family starving to death spiritually. Well, come on now. Mm -hmm. You see, Boaz starts protecting her before he ever married her. Like when you was a little boy or a little girl and you was in a car wreck or this happened to you and that happened to you. This girl was asking me about it the other day with me and Harry, cousin of mine, and we got out there siphoning out some guys I've told you before. We was learning how to use a Kentucky credit card real early in life. <laughs> it was an old car that daddy had sitting by the, by the house and somehow or another, we started intaking those fumes, those gas fumes. And we started hallucinating and seeing strange things. I did. I guess you did too, Harry. And it was so strange. And we would take turns on the, on, on the siphon hose. And we'd get back there. I guess it was getting high. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's the closest I've ever been to being high in the natural sense. But I can remember, I can remember like it was yesterday, getting up there in that car. The car wouldn't run, wouldn't start. But I remember setting up in that car and watching them gauges on that car. And I'd sit there and them gauges would move. Speedometer was moving. You know, the gas hand was moving. And then they quit moving and I'd get back here and take another hit, I guess. <laughs> well, somehow mom and daddy, somebody come out there and found us. But the danger was we started getting real sleepy. So when they found us, we was already getting really sleepy. So they saw the, get the siphon hose in the car. They called a doctor and nurse somebody. They told them, said, whatever you do, don't let them boys go to sleep. They'll never wake up again. 
Now here we was, little Kentucky hillbillies, knotheads. And the devil trying to kill us. But Jesus said, I can't let Harry go. He's got to bless a lot of my people singing. I can't let that little old blonde-headed fellow go. <laughs> he, he, he's got to meet Karen. They got a father, a son. There ain't, ain't no way. I sure can't let Donnie go. He's got too many devils to bust. Hey, Amen. There's too many devils he's got to cast out. I wonder how many of you, the devil, done the same thing. And the Lord started watching over you before you ever made your choice. He made his choice before you ever made yours. And if he made your choice first, he ain't going to give you up. Verse 23. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean to the end. To the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. And she didn't move out, man, and say, you know what? This old woman is a drag to me. I mean, she's holding me back from all my privileges. This old woman is holding me back from all I can be. I think I'm just fixing to leave. Notice how the author of the book of Ruth says this. And dwelt with her mother-in-law. <laughs> and yet she hadn't got so big that she couldn't say, I no longer need you. I don't need your input. I don't need you to tell me anything. I'm bride. Well, if you're real bride, you can be led. And if you can't, you're up. And everybody said, don't nag. <laughs> I don't know about you. I want to keep fast in Boaz field. But John, I ain't for sale. My gift ain't for sale. Our church ain't for sale. Our young people ain't for sale. Our musicians ain't for sale. My soul ain't for sale. Anybody here with me today? Our souls are not for sale. We're gonna stay in the field of our Boaz. Let me read this and we'll close. Now we enter into the third phase of Ruth's journey. Chapter three, verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? that it may be well with thee. In other words, you need to be married. You need a husband, Russ. You don't need to be out here gleaning in these fields and working 
like this low estate. Verse 2, And now is not Boaz our kindred, and whose maidens thou hast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. Now Naomi is giving to Ruth a five-fold means of preparation. She's a real Gentile bride, shores the world. She truly believes in an effective five-fold. I want you to notice, no nail polish is mentioned. No makeup. No mascara. Oh, you say that wasn't there. You need to reread your Bible. In the days of Jezebel, she tired her head and painted her face with stibulum. Stibulum, which was a dark pencil type thing. They just didn't call it Maybelline. They may have called it Jezebeline. And whenever Jehu come in to meet him riding on his horse, the Bible says she prepared herself. Uh-huh, she's dressing up like an old whore, what she was. Well, come on, no sit there and look at me like you know what I'm talking about. You know what Jehu's advice was? Anybody on the Lord's side? They were some eunuchs grabbed a hold of that old Jezebel church and they throwed her right underneath the conquering power of that horse. And he trampled her to death that the word of the prophet of God which had preceded him might be brought to pass. The dogs will eat Jezebel's body. And he trampled her there and there the dogs come in and licked up her blood according to the word of the Lord. And Elijah has visited the earth again and told us the Jezebel church is gonna be cast under the power of almighty God. My friends, you don't wanna meet the judgment of God. So let's look at the first fold and then we'll close. First, wash yourself. For us, that means totally different. They didn't have showers, bathtubs. They did not have running water. Many of them did not live near a spring. They would have to pack their water. Remember the woman at the well, St. John 4? So they didn't bathe every day. Who thank the Lord we do. <laughs> now it wouldn't bother me so bad up here, but I'm just thanking God for those that have to sit by you. They could take a pretty powerful pungent smell to reach me up here. What? Naomi is giving her directions on becoming bride. 
And the first one is, watch. Exodus 19.10. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now for the Jews, whenever God would say clothes, they also synchronized it together with their bodies. God's fixing to come down on the mountain, but God said, don't you even dare come in my presence until you wash yourself and you wash your clothes. You see, this is something that the church out here don't understand. Why we need to wash, why we need holiness. A sinner approaches God as a prostitute, a liar, a drunk, a whoremonger, whatever they are. And he will accept them as a sinner into the court of his forgiveness. But the majority of the church world out here still wants to approach him the exact same way after they've been saved for 40 years. They're still approaching him with a filthy conversation. They're approaching with lies and this and that and the other. And they don't understand that in order to be his bride, you've got to go into the dipping pool to where you are washed and you are cleansed. You understand? This is why God judges the church because they think they can approach him like a sinner. And that's what they are. But as bride, we don't want to approach him with our rottenness, our, oh my, our faults. You know what I'm saying? My, you come in, you're saying, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, please forgive me. Lord, if I've said anything wrong, what are you doing? You're there in the presence of God before service ever starts and you're trying to purge and wash. Why? You're a believer. You're approaching divine worship. The sinner comes back there, got cigarette smoke on his breath, still got nicotine on his fingers, all that. Sure, he's a sinner. But that ain't you. That ain't me. That ain't us as children of God. We don't walk like that. We walk a different walk. glory. Hebrews 10 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And God says, and be ready against the third day for the third day the Lord will come down on the side of all the people on Mount Sinai. So washing themselves and their clothes was coming into the presence of a noble person. Let me read one more close. Exodus 29, four. And Aaron and his sons, thou shalt bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Whoa. And shalt wash them with water? Reckon Aaron, being this old, older than Moses, didn't know how to take a bath? Aaron's sons didn't know how to take a bath. Now can you imagine how humiliating when Moses goes to Aaron and says, look, brother, they're brothers. Look, bub, God told me to wash you and your sons. I'm older than you are. You're going to treat me as a child? No, I'm going to obey what God said do. God told me to wash you. If you're going to be the priest, you're going to submit to the washing. So you imagine there stands the prophet and he's dipping down and getting the water and washing them and washing their face and washing the sweat and the dust and all the stuff. And they just, what, what, what do they do? Oh, they kick and fight. Don't too quick. Ah, ah, ah. Just stand still and submit to the washing. And they'd stand there and wash and wash. But you see, this is the beginning of the fold. 
to where God is fixing to move them to where they're able to walk into his presence. If they would have walked into his presence without being washed, God would have killed them at the door. Oh, I know, children, you don't like hard preaching. Oh, my goodness. It about kills me to have to preach hard. I preached here Wednesday night before last, and I left here, and I asked Carol, I said, who in the world was that preaching tonight? She said, sounded like John. I said, John who? And she said, that Baptist guy. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. And no, he's not free will or first either. He was the first. But sometimes we come in and we need to be washed. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Can't you see why that God hates and despises those that despise his true ministry? They're testifying of their guilt. They don't want to be washed. Wash me, Lord. Wash me, Lord. Stand together. Take a break now and everybody to come more verses. Wash what? Watch what happens after they're washed. And thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. Again, Moses is the one doing this. So he bathes them and then God tells him, dress them. Dress them. Well, you know, they say, I've been putting my britches on a long time. I know how to put my coat on. I know how to dress myself. That's not the point. God told Moses to do it. Can't you see why the prophet said in 1962 about apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, and evangelists? That's God's inside dress wear. That's what he sent to help dress the bride for the rest. Oh, I don't need no pastor. I don't need. Go ahead and make God naked then. Oh, I can dress myself. Well, Aaron couldn't. And thou shalt put the mitre upon his head and the holy crown upon the mitre. That after they're washed, Exodus 30 and 17, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot, his foot, shall also be a brass to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle and the door of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. The priests could not enter the holy place, although they had been serving at the brazen altar. So they come from the outside, they serve at the brazen altar, but before they go from the brazen altar into the court of the tabernacle, there is this brazen laver there, and they have to wash their hands and their feet. Now Moses don't need to give them a bath again, but they need to wash their hands and their feet. Whenever you mess up, you don't need to get saved over again. You ever felt like that? You're saying, you know what? I messed up so bad, I think I'm just going back up there and get saved. I'm just going to get saved and get filled with the Holy Ghost and just get baptized all over again. No, we don't need to do that. We just need to hold our hands, what we do, and our feet where we go. Hold them before the laver and just wash. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. But what if you went to a church this morning that never taught you the labor? You went to a church this morning and all they taught you was political, this, that, and the other, and whatever more, and you never washed after you first got saved. Can you imagine the sins on your hands and your feet? That's what makes it so sad to me. One day people are going to wake up and realize they're in the midst of the tribulation period and the bride is gone. It breaks my heart. Oh, it makes me happy thinking about the bride that's going to be gone. But I think of people who've sat here in our church. There's been enough people come through this one church right here to build two or three more as bigger, bigger than this one. Where are a lot of them? Lost, backslid. Some of them don't even believe in God no more. Some of them went to denominations. Well, are they producing what you can have to wash your hands? This is the way we do it, Ephesians 5. Washed by the water of the Word. That must be the present day truth to wash us. I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't want to live one hour without the ability to come before my Lord. Brother Donnie, you, you smoke, you, you run around, you commit adultery against Sister Carol? No, I'm just a rotten, stinking human being. Go ahead and say amen, you are too. Thank God for the washing. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Lord. Dear Jesus, how many humiliating things have you had us to do as your people? You're good at that, though. You don't work with our pride. You work against it. You don't work with our goals and our motives. You work against them most of the time. Because most of the time we want what's wrong for us. And you want what's best. I pray today, Lord, that you would help each of us. Begin with me, Lord God. Father, help me that my life can be a life, Lord, that is so pleasing to you. Oh, Jesus, I never thought I'd live to be this age I never thought time would go on this long. We don't know how much longer that it will continue to do so. But we want to work to the end of the barley harvest. To the end of the wheat harvest. So Lord, if I can touch a foolish virgin and bring them in, I'll do it. If I can touch a bride member, get them filled with the Holy Ghost, encourage them, I'll do it. Whether they're wheat or barley, if I could be able to reach somebody, Lord, just to be able to let them know that you love them. I may not ever make them bright, but if I could give them a good day, people are going through so much in the hour we're living in. Sometimes I just like to say things to people just to make them laugh a little bit, just to give them a good day. And I've seen it going through the drive through sometimes. That I'll say something humorous and I'll place my order and then I get up to the window and they say, you ordered such and such and so and so. And I'll say, no, I ordered a bologna sandwich and a Mountain Dew and a moon pie. And I do that just to make them laugh. 
And then in a week or two, I come through the drive-thru again, and that same person will be waiting on me, and they say, you want that moon pie? And I see, I made their day a little bit lighter. I don't want to be so selfish with my joy. I don't want to be so selfish with my ability to help people. I don't spread it everywhere I can. I've been called to help people and change people's lives. I don't want to just limit that to bride. You didn't. Brother Branham didn't. Brother Charlie Cox told me when Brother Branham would be there and then go to them old country stores after squirrel hunting in the morning. Brother Branham would go in with squirrel blood on his pants and his whiskers growed out. Brother Charlie said them old farmers would be sitting there whittling. Big pile of cedar laying there where they'd whittled and talked. And telling their big tales. Brother Branham would walk in. He'd never say, I'm Elijah, boys. But he said whenever Brother Branham would walk up, there was something about that presence that those men would look, turn, and wonder about it. He would talk to them about their farms. And he'd talk to them about their cattle. He didn't reveal the seals to them or the church ages. But just say a kind word to them. Help us to spread Jesus everywhere we are, Lord. We don't want to just spread it on Wednesday night and Sunday morning in these special meetings. Help us to spread you every day. Wash us. Anoint us. Teach us how to approach you, Lord. We love you today, Father. Thank you for stripping yourself of all your heavenly glories to feel my shame, my pain, my sorrow. Thank you for being willing to die the death of a sinner. Thank you for being willing to go to hell so I don't have to. We worship you today, Jesus. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the Lord? How many wants to be a better servant today for the cause of Christ? Friends, don't, don't think that you everywhere you go, you have to spread just a message book and doctrines of serpent seed and this and that and the other. You can spread kindness and never have to mention Malachi 4. People are starved to death for love. They're starved to death just to know somebody even cares for them. Spread kindness and love. That's the way Jesus was. I've heard enough of the stories of the people who were around Brother Branham to realize Brother Branham didn't walk around with his Bible under his arm all the time and dressed up in a suit and, and uh, throwing out this doctrine and that doctrine, but he was kind to people. What I found out was he was kind to people that smoked. He was kind to people that chewed tobacco. Oh, yeah. Brother Charlie Cox's daddy chewed tobacco. Brother Branham was just as kind to him. Some of them other people down there in Kentucky smoked cigarettes. Brother Branham got right around them, buddied up to them. They felt ashamed. They felt embarrassed. But Brother Branham did not take his prophetic office and say, don't you know who I am? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But he reached out to them Amen. and loved them Thank you, Lord. and brought them into the truth. How? By love. Not compromising, but by loving them. Oh, praise the Lord. Sing that what you're playing there, Harry. Can we just worship him a little before we go? Oh, little Ruth. Do you want to stay in his field? You want to stay in his field? Or are, you, are you tired of, of eating this sort of food? You'd rather go to some denomination somewhere and 
this, you know, whatever more. Not me. Not me. I love the food our Boaz has given us. Let's just worship him together now. Just stand here in his presence and let him just wash him. Remember, after Aaron got washed, him and his sons, then they got clothed. Then they got anointed. Then they got taught. Then they got privileged to walk into the presence of the king. The Lord's cut us a little this morning, I know. But let him now anoint us with his sweet perfume. Praise the Lord. Let him just anoint us and run down over us that anointing of the Holy Ghost. Sing it for a second. Down from his glory
Appreciate you being in the house of the Lord this morning. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Go in the fear of the Lord this morning. Service Wednesday night. Amen. Come believe and come expecting. Oh, this joy that I have, you know the world didn't give it to me. Oh, this joy that I have, you know the world didn't give it to me. Take it away. 